Friends, if you have a, a Bible with you, can I encourage you to look up Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read the whole chapter together. And, and as we read, we remember this is God's word. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because his soul was poured out unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. We're going to pray and ask God's help to understand it. Let's pray together. Our loving God, we need your help to understand your word. Even when passages seem clear and plain to us, we know that you are speaking to us in the Bible. And so we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes today to see Jesus, that we might know him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Puritan Thomas Manton once said of Isaiah chapter 53 
Now, this prophecy of Isaiah contains the clearest revelations of the Messiah and is writ in the loftiest style of any part of the Old Testament. He said, The veil of the temple seems to have been drawn aside, though not rent asunder, and the light of the gospel shone forth with a brighter glory than ever it had before. This chapter of scripture, which is is tucked away into what is a, a pretty obscure prophecy from Isaiah, this chapter gives us as clear a picture of the suffering, humiliation and death of Christ as any other part of the Bible. Not only that, it paints for us in stunning colour the glories and exaltation of our Saviour. The light of the gospel shines forth from this passage with immense brightness and immense clarity. And that's not only because of the description it gives us of the death of Jesus, it does give us that. But it also brings to us as clear a teaching about salvation as any of the doctrinal letters from the Apostle Paul. Isaiah 53 is one of the very high points of the Bible. When we study this passage, we are not crawling. We are not trudging along, dragging our feet through muck and weeds. When we look at this passage, we are soaring. We are lifted up. We are exalted even to consider such high and lofty notions as are plainly laid before us. And in doing so, I really hope that it's going to help us understand what's going on today. I always hope that with my preaching. I I hope it it helps us understand what's happening in our lives, that that the, the preached word connects with our lives. But most specifically, what's going on today for those of us who will partake in the Lord's Supper? And even for those who aren't partaking in the Supper What does this passage teach us about Jesus? Well, what it teaches us is the same truth that is brought to us through the sacrament of communion. As we read through this chapter a few moments ago, I'm sure that you noticed it contains this strange mixture. The suffering and the success of the Messiah are are both brought forward in this passage. Well, in order to guide us through, I have three more S's. Jesus is our substitute, our sacrifice, and our saviour. Jesus is our substitute. A while ago, I I heard about a minister, and he was speaking to the boys and girls, just as I've done a few moments ago. And he was in the church service talking to the boys and girls. And he said to them, you know what a substitute is, don't you? And one of the boys replied very quickly, yes, it's somebody who's not good enough to get into the starting team. I'm not really sure that's the idea the minister was trying to get across. But it's actually really helpful as we look at Isaiah 53. The the chapter begins with a question in verse 1. Who has believed our report? And the expected answer to that question is no one. 
No one would believe what we're about to read. No one would believe this report, a report about the arm of the Lord, but it's an arm with no strength, no positive attributes. It's like a root growing in the desert. That root doesn't stand a chance. You see how the the passage describes Jesus. One who has no form or comeliness. No beauty that we should desire him. One who is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. A kind of person that, that people hide their faces from. They won't even bring themselves to look at him. He was despised. He was not esteemed. When we read this description of Jesus, it doesn't sound like he's going to make the starting team. There's nothing about Jesus, humanly speaking, that draws people to him. He wasn't strong or good looking. He wasn't funny. He, he wasn't any of those things which makes people like a person. Humanly speaking, he was pathetic. And not only pathetic in the way that people might feel pity for Jesus, he was despised. He was rejected. We see this play out in the life of Jesus. He truly is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Born in a lowly cattle shed, living a life of obscurity and poverty, Even as a a preacher and a teacher, he he didn't keep a crowd or a following for very long. Many followed him because they wanted to benefit from his miracles. But they turned away from him very quickly as well. Just think about the crowds who were shouting Hosanna as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. A few days later, they were shouting crucify. This man, Jesus, who who came proclaiming the gospel, well, he could only really gather about 12 followers during his earthly lifetime. And even they abandoned him when it came to the crunch. And yet the point of all of this is that he would be a substitute for us. That he would would come into our world and, and take our place. The Lord of creation stepping out of glory, becoming the man of sorrows so that he could be like us. Verses four to six are are really hammering home this point. Christ is a substitute for his people. Why is it that he is bearing grief and sorrow? Well, he is bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. Why is it that he is wounded and bruised while he is wounded for our transgressions? He is bruised for our iniquities. Jesus came into this world to to take the place of his people. The suffering and humiliation are a direct result of our sinfulness. And Jesus does this in our place. He's borne the sins of his people in his own body. From the very moment of conception in the womb of Mary, God the Son has been brought low in the place of his people. And this all means that were it not for my sin, 
Jesus would not have suffered as he did. The bloody and graphic scene that is painted for us by this passage is one that is brought about entirely by your sin and by my sin. What are we? Well, we are like sheep. Sheep who have taken the wrong path. We've wandered from the fold. And in order for us to be led back, the shepherd has had to come and lay down his life. Isn't that what Jesus says about himself? He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You see, we have wandered, and and it's not just that we've wandered off the right path, but we've wandered into danger. We've taken ourselves off into the, the place where sheep are attacked by wild animals. Our sinful desires, our sinful words, our sinful actions, they have placed us in danger, in grave danger. But the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, has has stepped into our place. He's taken upon himself to be our substitute. He stands in front of us. And not only does he face the danger, but he comes under the attack of the danger. He faces those wild beasts on our behalf. And we are protected because the beasts rip our shepherd to pieces. That's what we see before us in the Lord's Supper. When the bread is torn into pieces, think about the way that the loaf has to be cut, torn and cut into tiny pieces, destroyed. No longer even recognisable as the loaf it was before. So the body of Christ was torn and ripped into pieces in our place. But in this way, The beast of sin is dealt with. It's dealt with through the death of Jesus. And that's our second point. Because not only is Jesus our substitute, he is our sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that our sin demands. You see, the Bible is very clear throughout. Forgiveness of sins requires the shedding of blood. Much of the Old Testament is given over to to teaching about sacrifices and and how they ought to be carried out. You can read through some sections of the Old Testament and and think they wouldn't sound out of place in a textbook for butchers. In fact, the priests of the Old Testament probably did have more in common with a butcher than they do with a, a minister in the PCI. It's important for us to to grapple with this as we study through this chapter of God's word. Because the sights and the sounds and the smells of the tabernacle and in the temple during the Old Testament, well, it would have been like an abattoir. The blood and the excrement all over the place. Recently slaughtered animals sitting there. The smell must have been horrible. This is a picture to us of the filthiness and the odiousness of our sin. Forgiveness of sin requires the shedding of blood. And that comes with all of the disgusting imagery that is given to us by the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And yet, it is in fulfilment of that system that Jesus comes to die on the cross. As a sacrifice for our sin. 
The forgiveness of your sin and mine required the shedding of Christ's blood. The very blood that is represented by the wine we will share later in this service. Don't don't sanitize this for yourself. Don't, Don't whitewash it. The cost of your sin is the blood of Jesus. And yet he offered, he offered it willingly as it was spilled in his death. Isaiah makes that point. He moves to the picture of a a sacrificial lamb and shows us that Jesus went to die willingly. You see what he says about a sheep before the shearers? Now, I don't know nearly as much about sheep as many of you do, but I'm told that a sheep is a pretty submissive animal. Just picture, if you can, trying to shear a cat. Wouldn't be so easy, would it? The cat wouldn't submit to the, the shearing. It would, you'd be scratching cuts all over yourself. But a sheep is quiet. And it submits to the shearing. And so it is that Jesus went willingly to the cross as a sacrifice for your sin. The commands we find in Moses and and the prophecy we find here in Isaiah are all fulfilled through Jesus' life here on earth. But perhaps most poignantly are fulfilled through his death on the cross. And friends, most amazingly, this has been God's plan from the beginning. It's often referred to as the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption, unlike other covenants, is not between God and human beings, but between God the Father and God the Son. The covenant of redemption is that the Son would willingly give his his life as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. To satisfy the wrath of God against sin. This is a, a pact between the Father and the Son from all eternity. And so we come to verse 10. Do you see verse 10? Some of the most stark words, I think, in all of the Bible. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. What love. What love the Father has for us. What love the Son has for us. What love our God has that he would send his only son and that the son would allow himself to be sent so that when we believe in him, even though we are sinners, we shall not perish but have everlasting life. A few moments ago, we sang in Christ alone. One of the controversial lines in that hymn is when we sing On that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You may have heard of a liberal denomination in America who wanted to change that line in order to have it included in their hymn books. Well, the Gettys who wrote the hymn refused to allow it to be changed. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it was a substitute in our place. And it was a sacrifice to cover the debt of our sin. Jesus' death really does satisfy the wrath of God. 
And so through the the horror of death, which is exposed to us in this chapter, and, and we are shown explicitly in the Lord's Supper, through that horror, hope comes. There is hope for us. And so the first two S's lead to the third. Substitution and sacrifice lead to salvation. Our final point today is that Jesus is our saviour. He is the substitute, the sacrifice, and the saviour. The immediate and specific way we benefit from Christ's death is our justification. Justification is a technical and religious word. Let me try and explain it. The easiest way I have heard is that those who are justified, it is just as if they had never sinned. The Bible makes it clear that God is a judge. And the word justification comes from the courtroom. God sitting as judge. And his judgment is final. Justification is that God declares a person, declares you, not guilty because of the actions of Jesus. And this comes to us not when we keep a a certain set of laws not when we look a certain way not when we have a a certain ethnicity or skin color not when we have a certain amount of money in our bank accounts justification is a gift of god's grace to all those who know jesus you can see in verse 11 it says by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many by his knowledge this is the great reformation principle of justification by faith alone and it's not really about an intellectual knowledge of jesus although that does help it's really about a relational knowledge it's about a personal knowledge that comes through relationship and that is the relationship that brings us to the lord's table today It is through relationship, a relationship with Jesus that we can come and participate with the full welcome of the Father. I want you to think about it this way. Imagine you come home one evening and you find a young man that you've never before set eyes on with his head in your fridge and a mouth full of ham or cheese or whatever it is you keep in your fridge. You would rightly be disturbed Uh, You would be annoyed. You might lift something to hit him with. You would almost certainly want to call the police. Imagine that same young man arrived in your house with your son. And your son introduces him. This is my friend, Albert. Can he stay for dinner? Well, of course, your reaction is very different. You throw an extra spot in the pot. You set a place at the table for Albert. You see, we are welcomed by the Father because we are friends with the Son. That is how we're justified. It's how we come to have Christ as our substitute, sacrifice, and saviour. These come to us when we accept Jesus as our friend. And therefore, this whole passage, which, let's face it, is pretty gloomy and it's pretty gross. 
it becomes glorious and glittering. There is joy in this passage, inexpressible joy. When we come to know as a personal friend, as our substitute sacrifice and saviour, the Lamb of God who bears our sins away. Let's pray to him now.